Okay, we will start this show very soon, but before we started, we wanted to address uh, the fact that um, some shit's going down in America at the moment, and uh, part of it is very relevant to what we cover here, which is that um, art house cinemas across the country are struggling. They were forced to close down along with all other uh, non-essential businesses, of course. And they are now in the position of needing to pay staff and uh, keep their doors open long enough to uh, be able to actually open their doors when uh, this thing ends. And one of the uh, really encouraging things that we have seen uh, since this has started is that uh, the Criterion Collection and Janus together created a Art House America campaign uh, along with some other organizations which is uh, being used to uh, donate money to Art House cinemas across the country and uh, help them out in this time when um, a lot of them are really struggling. Yeah, if uh, you thought art house theaters were struggling before, it is much worse now that we can't actually go and visit them. You know, I know it's also hard uh, nowadays with uh, the prospect of going back to work seeming bleak, or maybe you're working and you're just scraping by, but just think, uh, you know, just put it in terms of math of how many times would you have gone to the movies this month? And just donate that amount. It's something you already would have spent anyway or cut it in half and just give a little something because when we're all done with this craziness, I think one of the first things that I cannot wait to do is go and experience a movie with my neighborhood again and uh, sit in the theater of the Brattle and watch an old film or go to my local Arlington Capitol and... uh, check out a movie with my family because uh that's the kind of community building and uh world connecting things that i miss the most right now and the movies are especially capable of doing for people and uh you know some of my most memorable experiences have been in the audience with a a packed house uh, watching a movie at the brattle and um, if you have a, a local cinema that you love as much as uh, we love the Capitol and the Brattle uh, in the Boston area, um, consider donating to them if they're a nonprofit or um, providing uh, this campaign with, with a little bit of money um, if, you, if you're uh, lucky enough to have some lying around. So uh, with, with that, uh, I guess we have to do the show don't we travis well you know we can keep our social distancing online but we should come together and talk about uh kishlowski's white that's right we'll do it from six feet apart nice Welcome to episode 17 of uh, the complete Shishtaf Kishlovsky. This is Three Colors White uh, uh, episode. I'm Matt Gasteyer, and I'm here as usual with my co-host Travis Trudell. How are you, Travis? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. All things considered, I haven't been stuffed into a suitcase and sent back to Poland, so I guess I'm uh, 
Uh, you Yet. know, I'm on top of things. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how things go in the next couple of months. So we may all be in suitcases. Um, and uh, normally we do a bunch of stuff at the beginning of the episode uh, that we're not going to be able to do on this episode because part of the part of the reason for that is that uh, we have a returning guest, which is Erica Long from the Magic Lantern podcast. We are thrilled to have her back for the second part of the Three Colors trilogy, and there may be uh, a third in our future for Red. So uh, welcome back, Erica. We're glad to have you back. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. Glad to be revisiting the entire trilogy, too. It's been such a delightful surprise to come back to it after all these years. Yeah, and these movies are so linked, even more so, I think, than the Decalogue in a lot of ways. And so um, I think it's it's nice to have continuity in that way. And I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the next two films. Um, the second the second thing that we usually do is ask uh, our guests what their opinion is of uh, the director that we're covering. But we already know your opinion of the director that we're covering. Uh, so we're going to skip over that and get dive right into the movie. Uh, however, the third thing that we usually cover at the beginning of the episode is what the director was doing between the previous movie that they made and uh, this movie that we're going to be talking about on this episode. But uh, Shishtaf Kishlovsky was mostly sleeping in between Blue and White because uh, he finished shooting Blue and then went to bed and woke up the next day and started shooting White. So uh, there isn't much... Uh, there isn't much of a uh, in between here uh, to uh, to set up. Um, Plus, furiously any... smoking, I guess. Yeah, I was about to yes. say. Yeah, a, 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 I, a cot yeah. and a pack of smokes was what was between these two movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to mention this um, on the on the episode, but Julie Delpy mentions in her um, interview on the the box that um, that he smoked so much in every scene that they were shooting that she felt like it was like a signature part of his style that there was just the, that every scene was filled with cigarette smoke the because haze. he was yeah because there was just this hazy glow to everything because he was smoking so much all the time oh. uh, so that's a nice uh, nice image for you can't do that anymore is there anything kind of you know that i'm missing here travis in terms of things that people should know before we kind of get into our initial uh, gut reactions to the movie. I guess the only thing really kind of to point out is this is uh, this is the first time he's gone back to Poland to make a movie since uh, the Decalogue. So he did Double Life, um, which was kind of set in both places, and then he did Blue, and this is the first movie he's gone back to Poland to do since uh, the fall of uh, the communist uh, communism there and the rise of democracy and so he really wanted to point out at some of the you know the humorous things that he was finding upon his return i said that was probably the only thing i'd bring up is just that that little bit and otherwise than that i think we're ready to rock that well they're sort of mere images of each other um in that veronique the first 30 minutes of that film are set in poland and then the last hour is in france and it's the reverse here um, it's like, I think 25 minutes or so until he gets to Poland and then the rest of the movie is in Poland. So, um, it's kind of the flip side, um, picture of moving out of Poland and then moving back in. Um, although of course he left again for his last film, but, um, Erica, what, what did, what were your kind of 
thoughts on white this time around. And if you don't mind, I'll share that, you know, we kind of mentioned initially when we were thinking about having three different people for these episodes, um, we, we floated out white for you and you leaned towards blue because you felt like you were less enthusiastic about white and you'd have more to say about blue. So I'm interested to know kind of what your thoughts were on it this time around and, and also kind of what your initial reaction was. It is almost the same as coming back to blue after two decades. I realized I remembered virtually nothing of the story of white. And I had really specifically forgotten about the character of Dominique and how she's basically kind of a shell of a person. We just don't really yeah. know anything about her. I'd totally forgotten about that. The thing that I had always remembered, and I'm sure always will remember, is the flashback to their wedding because that takes place. We see that a number of times. Instead of a fade to black, it's a fade to white. And so that stuck with me. But I'm so glad to be able to come back to it. I think I there are a lot of interesting things to find rediscovering it. I think it's a good time to do it. I think we should, as adults, come back to these things. I think I... Uh, so this was unfortunate. This was my first time seeing it. I hadn't seen, I had seen blue and red at different parts of my life uh, when I had started watching his films, and uh, I never saw white. And then you know, just doing a preliminary search on the internet, you know, you know, all signs pointed to me not to bother. Which, you know, I wish I had because I would have loved to have been revisiting this because I would like to see how my thoughts had changed about it over time or if they would have changed at all but um most of the times when you're thinking about trilogies like this is a planned trilogy this was something that was set out to be made in three parts with intent and purpose not like hey this was a hit can we spin this out into two more things um so a lot of times when you think about trilogies it's usually the second movie that kind of is the the big one um you know, if you think in kind of like the history of three-part movies, you think of uh, Empire Strikes Back and you think of uh, The Godfather Part Two, and so on and so forth. There's lots of second movies that kind of raise the stakes and bring the story up further. And it was very interesting to see that this, this movie felt more uh, simplistic in its, uh, in its undertaking. It's a straightforward story with a very basic plot, you know, and we talked about in blue how the plot is very basic, but you know, it's more about emotions where this one feels like the emotions are stripped away from it a bit. Uh, Maybe because he is telling a story from a male perspective and it is a, it is a person who has been cut away from his emotions uh, you know, with the symbolic, uh, you know, with the idea that he is impotent, he cannot uh, perform his masculine or male uh, perceived duties. And so he is kind of uh, left bereft and without this type of emotion. But it's very interesting to have the second of a series be so subdued. Um, and it makes me look forward to seeing Red again, uh, revisiting that to see how this all thematically works together. But in general impression, I I did like this film. I did watch it three times because the first time it really didn't pull me in. The second time I was able to kind of start focusing more on the performances, uh, especially of the lead. 
and then the third time I was able to kind of start watching a lot of the thematics that were uh, emerging from the story and so I did appreciate it it is nowhere near the level of artistry that blue was but there are some really uh, fun and interesting uh, points that uh, Kishlowski is trying to make um, it felt a lot more it harkened back a lot more to his uh, pre-decalogue films uh, th how I felt about it Matt what do you think about this one on a revisit yeah, I agree that it feels a lot like his pre-Decalogue movies, although I was surprised revisiting it just how much of Decalogue uh, is in here. I think I thought of uh, Blue and Red as, as having kind of more kernels uh, of that were created in Decalogue, fleshed out um, later on, but obviously the impotence, um, the fact that we have the same two uh actors playing brothers as in Decalogue 10 um, and there's also some other uh, themes of Decalogue 10 I think wrapped in here um, and just uh, a general sense of uh, a little bit more humor than was um, in, infused into his last two movies uh, that I think was present in a couple of the uh, Decalogue episodes and certainly in some of his earlier films. I also agree with Erica about Dominique in particular, just, um, you know, I think especially because these movies are so famous for having the three women on the cover of the like VHS collection. And they're, you know, I think the, those are the most kind of famous posters, although they weren't necessarily the posters, um, at the time that the movies were created. Um, uh, they were, uh, Delphi was a little bit more pushed in, into the background in the uh, original poster, whereas Domakovsky was was more front and center. Um, but I I feel like this movie would have benefited a lot more from more of her character and more of a balance between the two of them um, in terms of what, I mean, really we lose track of her for about 40 minutes in the middle of this movie. And most of that time is so plot heavy i mean it's this scene where he's doing something and this where he's building up this kind of revenge plot um that he's hatched and there's very little in there that's kind of allowed to breathe in the way that we're so used to seeing from kishlovsky over the last two movies and some of it is really funny and um and i think insightful about kind of what Poland is like at that moment. Um, but I don't necessarily think that a lot of it has a huge bearing on what the emotional core of the movie is. And so I think that's kind of why it's seen as such, so much more of a cold film than the two movies that surround it, because a bulk of the time is taken up by this thing that isn't necessarily um, completely interlinked uh, with with what the story of the movie um, really is, um, but I but I do enjoy the humor in the film, and as Kishlovsky has like, you know, he's a master of of um, setting low expectations, and so he you know definitely thinks of this as like a comedy without any jokes in it. But um, <laughs> there are some really funny moments, and um, I, I even laugh out loud at a couple of them every time. Um, especially the boss um, making the really bad joke about the 
um, about the woman who recommends uh, him for the job, uh, you know, and gives like the fist pump uh, at his own joke. I just think that that's just such, and the way it's cut is so perfect because it's like we don't even get the rest of the fist pump; we only get like half of it. Um, but but I think in in terms of style of humor, it reminds me um, most of uh, Aki Kurzmaki. It's got this like real droll, dry feeling to it and yet Kishlovsky's stylization is so different from Kurzmaki's that it doesn't gel entirely in terms of what the filmmaking is and what the style of humor is in the way that Kurzmaki's films uh, always do and so in that way it's not as kind of entertaining or successful as as a Kurzmaki movie but I still really like that style of humor and so for me that's enough to kind of carry me through the 90 minutes of, of the movie. Um, and especially that, that second act where I think things kind of lose their way a little bit and get lost in the, in the plot. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if this movie becomes part of kind of like the, uh, a bit of its failing due to Kieślowski kind of, allowing his cinematographers to have a lot more control and participation in the imaging of his films. Uh, some directors are very specific and exacting on like where they want the camera, how they want stuff to do, and it's less of a collaboration and more of you know, uh, a technician enacting the wills of the director. Whereas he is a lot more collaborative, invites the DPs to... Uh, start, uh, you know, on the first draft of the script, uh, envisioning and talking about things and working things out. And then he allows them to kind of do their job while he just works with his actors and focuses on story and content and kind of uh, working that way. Um, because if I remember, we, we talked, this is the same uh, director of photography that shot um, Decalogue 2. And I remember us talking about how that one was just a perfunctory uh, cinematography as well, especially coming off the first one, which had a lot of symbolism and emotion. You went into two and everything was kind of just clean and like soap opera pretty, lots of blossoming whites and soft focus where this one has that same feel. There's no, there's no strong visual sense like there was in blue or what I believe, if I remember correctly, is in red as well. There's not these moments of contemplation and uh, fine details of small things that kind of bring out uh, uh, the viewer's uh, mo you know, recognition and connection with the film through small details. This one is just like a straightforward story with the cinematography being kind of very straight. And because of that, I wonder if that makes it feel so disjointed from the other two because it is removed visually from this new language he had been speaking with um, Double Life and Blue. Um, I think that that for me was the strongest kind of like removal. Um, that and, you know, not having a female protagonist and kind of moving backwards into uh, someone who is just a two-dimensional kind of thing you know that poster of Bridget Bardot on the wall basically something of beauty to be withheld from a distance and planned and plotted to win the affection of kind of it seems like Carol is standing in for Kieślowski here that they both 
don't have access to their emotions. I'm thinking about something Julie Delpy said about Kieślowski, that he built characters from the outside in. We're talking about the way they moved. Think of her hand gesture when she's getting in the car to leave him outside the courthouse, Mm. rather than the inside out. And so I think about that lack of visual flourish so that it, it then comes down to art direction details, you know, spot the white object here and have a laugh when the white object is the toilet, for example. <laughs> right. Or the pigeon and, shit. Yes, exactly. And that then becomes the difference between old Europe and new Europe. I think of one and three as being Europe and Poland as being new europe but something still so decidedly polish and so separate yeah i mean it's interesting because the guy who who um who shot this is a a extremely well respected uh polish cinematographer um and made a couple of the kind of modern uh classics of of polish cinema camouflage and um he worked with um, man of iron yeah, he were um, he worked with Vaya on Man of Honor and um, and Man of Marble. All three of those movies are not what you would call a laugh fest, um, and I do feel like there's very very few moments here. And and it's interesting. Kieślowski even said um, that there was there were funnier elements in the script and that they filmed that he felt like didn't work and they kind of cut out a lot of the comedy in the movie. And there's very little here that, that is funny in terms of the style of filmmaking. Um, and, and, and by the way, as I, as I'm like talking about the, this, uh, this sort of comedic element of the film, I don't think the film is uh, less successful necessarily because it's not funnier. I, I think the, the intention of the movie was uh not it, it, it shouldn't be judged i think as a comedy whether it's it's laugh out loud funny how many jokes there are per minute or anything like that um, but i do feel like there is sort of a um a, a distance between the kind of uh droll comedy of the um of the performances and of the script writing and the way that the movie is shot the way the white is incorporated into the film um and and the way that Poland is depicted even I think could have uh, has has a bit more of like a a drabness that is not necessarily functional thematically uh, in terms of, of uh, pointing out its um, inconsistencies in terms of these people going out and trying to exploit the system uh, to get ahead I, I think in that sense it's not necessarily successful and and also like the fact that um the guy is named carol carol um you know which is charles uh basically is the is the polish equivalent of charles and kieślowski asked him to sort of study charlie chaplin and take on his mannerisms and chaplin was definitely somebody who um tried to merge pathos and humor um but i think he often did so through his filmmaking much more effectively than through any sort of construction of or execution of a joke. Um, and the fact that that's not really what's going on here, I think makes his character less like of a three-dimensional appealing comedic foil and more of just like this 
blank slate that um, that whatever's happening to him can be poured onto. Yeah, I think uh, when I saw the name Carol Carol, I just thought uh, like equality, like an even. He's a balance. His name, first name and his last name are the same thing. And if this is the white section of this movie is supposed to the series is supposed to be uh, the equality section. If we're going by the uh, the three tenants that they wanted to cover in this trilogy, um, I thought that was a very apt metaphor. Having his name be this evening name, which is you know the same first and last name um but i think there's lots of i think there's lots of things in this movie in which um kishlowski is wanting to kind of point the finger at i think i think uh he is making the effort to point out the difference differences between poland and some of the other european cities in which now he is kind of spending more time in so because of that, he's turning the camera back on them and kind of saying, all right, cool. So we have all this equality now here because we are now the, you know, we are now part of the European uh, mindset. We're part, we're now part of Europe. We're not, you know, that's, that's We've got line. neon. Exactly. Yeah. You got a neon sign. Of course, we're Europe. I mean, duh. <laughs> we're all set now. We've got neon. Um, but I think it's funny. He's, he's making... It, it, it harkens back to when we talk about when he's uh, making the effort to be political. It doesn't always uh, work as well as when he's trying to be universal. And so a lot of the things that kind of ring, uh, I guess, faults or just kind of are too obvious uh, stick out like a sore thumb because of that. So, you know, pointing out that everyone here uh, is equal but they're only equal if they're a little more, you know, that concept of, you know, we're going to split this five ways and there's four guys. I'm going to get two shares though. Cause you know, obviously I'm the guy who took the baggage out of the uh, baggage claim. So there's, there's this like running thing of we're, we want to be equal with everyone else, but a little bit better. So there's a constant one upsmanship through everyone in this film. And it's, it becomes a kind of an obvious thing that, makes you makes sometimes made me just kind of go yes i get it all right let's let's move on with our story let's see where this is going and then it you know it becomes a clear through line you know as we try to be equal uh the different levels of equal the equal in society the poland being an equal part of europe um this husband being an equal partner with his wife um there's all these like little equalities that are trying to happen without the film and some of them are successful some of them are not and uh i think that's another you know when trying so hard to you know focus on these equalities i think matt you had said earlier this idea of when you're stuck because you've decided to make this thing based on this i i idea that you're kind of stuck now with this like uh concept or this you know i can't remember the term you used it was uh when we first started talking about uh the decalogue when you're kind of stuck with this concept and now you have to kind of force your story to make it work or otherwise you're not a part of it um i think this is where this movie becomes uh its weakest is because it has it's it's trying so hard to be that thing that the storyline and the plot become too simplistic and there isn't that extra level of artistic or artistry that is going into it to kind of symbolize 
this equality like when we have the blue there's all the symbol uh there's all these symbols for freedom and symbols for uh her emotions and outward you know she barely speaks in the film in this movie there's so much people talking about you know how we're gonna do better and let's do this and we're gonna get that and you know trying to sell the farm and there's all these moments of conversation to try to uh make their points whereas uh, he spends a lot of time in blue showing these things instead of telling these things so I, f I found that to be also something kind of hard to uh to work around you know the moments of lev levity as they come are some of them are honest especially when uh Jersey's store is in the film like he's just like this big like saint bernard of a man at this point and his eyes and his smile oh and his face whenever oh, his eyes light yeah, up amazing. oh it's so great like when he's giggling about having to identify the body they exhumed and he's giggling like <laughs> like a little kid about it while you know baking bread uh, that just it tickles me it tickles me to no end when he looks out the window and recognizes uh carol it's a, it's the same thing my my eyes light up my face smiles because he is such a uh such a fantastic uh, character to just kind of be a part of. It almost makes me wish that this was his story because I could see him bumbling and being, you know, pathetic and trying hard. And like it would almost I would automatically have more sympathy yeah. for the character if it was him as opposed to, uh, you know, the actor that we have instead. This is what I like to think that since I watched it this uh, with this repeat viewing is that Kieslowski created something specifically for me. He was creating this little time bomb that I would come back to it and realize that Carol, Carol, by having the same name, he's essentially canceled himself out. He's not even left mm. with, you know, one by one is one. He's, he's zero in this respect. And he has no idea that he's the bad guy. And he has no idea that he doesn't have the wherewithal to make his life better by just asking his wife questions instead of claiming that he understands nothing or is told that he understands nothing because he doesn't even think to ask a question. Yeah, I mean, to me, that can definitely stand in as a pointed criticism for the, you know, Poland uh, at this moment and kind of the way that Kieślowski is depicting Poland there is a bit of an assumption there from him that he's being treated unfairly um, in France because he he's not able to uh, speak the language. But there's no impression in that courtroom scene, as far as I'm concerned, that that he's not getting a fair hearing um, in that moment. And certainly there is uh, no indication that he's making any kind of genuine effort with his wife. Although, again, I don't necessarily know that that is a failure of his character or a failure of the movie. The fact that we're not really um, able to get a good read on their relationship. The only really um, deep moment that we get from the two of them is in the, the shop when she finds him um, sleeping there in the morning. And and even then, you know, it kind of comes back to the same thing. He's he's kind of just pushing her into having sex with her to uh, having sex with him to prove uh, that he can actually get it up. And of course, he he fails again. And um, it just yeah, it, it, I I I want more of their relationship here. And I think there would be more impact not only at the end of this movie, but at the end of the 
next movie that we're going to talk about. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of, as Travis was talking about um, kind of the, the, the plotting of this film and the, the concept, you know, the first thing that you talked about, Erica, on the episode last time was kind of how, how the, the depiction of liberty um, in, this con- in the context of what this character was going through um, affected you personally and kind of how you thought about your life and how you would act in these in this situation and that your evolution of your relationship with um with this character's actions uh, over the course of your life and i and i think you know here we are leaping right into talking about this movie um and sort of these characters as um separate things that th- sort of objects that we are um, observing and analyzing and it does feel like there is we've lost what um what the decalogue and veronique and blue provided which was a symbiotic relationship between the viewer and the movie and here it feels very much like it's a one-way street that we're watching this movie and these characters do the things that they're doing and that there's not that same emotional connection between um and 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 in particular in in depiction of the portrayal of equality because it's so bald-faced what kishlovsky is saying about equality in this movie and it doesn't have the same thorny and um emotionally rich uh, meaning that he provides for liberty in blue and I took liberties all over the place. So I, I do think he made this for me to come back to 26 years later so that I could try to shake Dominique through the screen and tell her to do something <laughs> else, but I can't. And I also like to think that what if this was a story of the different path that Julie from Blue could have taken against her husband and his legacy if she had decided to still be in the world and seek equality instead of freedom. Mm. Just fun things I was thinking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I think he made this for me just to come back to 26 years later. I think that's why it occurred. Well, I mean, at least that's something, uh, you know, that he's he's left for for you to interact with in the movie. I mean, I did. It was interesting, like the Julie Delpy story um, in the interview that she gives where she talks about how she auditioned for Veronique and Kishlovsky asked her to do something sexy. And she thought it was so obnoxious that she just um, picked her ear. She like (laughs) stuck her, her pinky in her ear and rubbed it around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously she did not get the role, but, um, he sent this script to her, uh, saying, oh, you'll be perfect for this part without uh, an audition. And that definitely, uh, reads to me as, oh, that lady that treated me like a total asshole. She's be, she'd be perfect for this role of the character who's treating my, uh, stand in as a total asshole. Um. And who I have no idea how to ask the right questions of. I'm just going to give her this emptiness and ask her to fill it. And she also talks about she read blue, but she didn't connect to it. And he said, well, try white instead or blanc, sorry. And he asked her 
how she would approach this character. And she talked about, he said, just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. And she talked about this crazy cat that she had when she was a kid who was just a hellion and always in heat. And he said, yes, go with that. And the cat would always try to attack people. And he left it there, which I think that we can understand when we watch her that he did that not necessarily why did he decide to do that but that he did that and I also came up with a completely different end meaning for her sign language too before I looked up what it was that he actually told her to do so we'll get to that later would you let's do it we're not we're not in chronological order here okay you can't tease something like that Erica oh sorry okay sorry that's what my husband always does. Come up with something and then, you know, make me wait. Okay. Oh, we know. I... <laughs> oh, we know. <laughs> so I really, really thought that she was signing to him, break me out of here and I'll marry you. Hmm. Ah. Which oh, to me seems way more in keeping with the character than this complete oh. reversal the, the first time when I first watched it, I thought she was signing, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to break your legs. I'm not, I'm not going to kill you. Like she says, like, I thought she was choking. Like, I'm not going to kill you. It's going to be worse. I'm going to marry you again. <laughs> like, we're going to, we're going to stay together forever now. This, you know, this, this is just going to perpetuate forever. Well, there was, you know, I mean, it, it, it rings really false to me. Like, it, I just don't like the whole, you know, war of domination. Like, you know, whoever, like, now that he's shown that he's got the upper hand, she's in love with him again. It's, yeah. it's not, it doesn't, I don't buy it to me. And like the whole, you know, you, you moaned louder than when, when I was on the phone. I just, it, the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, he's a shit bag. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. and it's got this real like male fantasy vibe to it, and even even the fat, you know, it's it's also got this like uh, sort of the you know the bad movie fan like the Fight Club Goodfellas guy um, who likes those movies for the wrong reasons. Uh, like there, you could easily Who's watch fist the pumping middle of at this the end. movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, you could easily watch the middle of this movie where he's get, getting all this money to take revenge, revenge on the woman and take the totally wrong message. And by wrong, I mean what Kieślowski, uh ostensibly intended uh, that message to be, which is a satirical presentation of the greed um, and capitalist urges of uh, the new Poland. Because um, he's having a great time. He's He's getting drunk with the farmer to sign over this land. He's... You know he's he's got his pal, his best friend, and they're gonna make a whole lot of money. He's he's dictating how his house gets built. It's all this like very you know he's driving around in the fancy car, um, or at least a fancy car for Poland in 1994. Burgundy <laughs> um, Volvo. Yeah, baby. Burgundy. God love those Burgundy Volvos. Um, uh, yeah, rich capitalists in Poland and moms in uh, Pennsylvania, but. I mean, like, it's very uh, just, you know, straightforward, like, guy gets revenge on girl who wronged him and shows that he's actually uh, got, you know, got what it takes to please her in bed. And, you know, and then she, uh, 
she win he wins her over by negging her for an hour. It, it well, yeah, it's that it's that have his cake and eat it too, but you know the cake is really shitty anyway. So, like, just the whole yeah, the whole the whole concept is, you know, and you can there are you could like if you want to go that way, you could be like there are relationships like that. There are people who like to be dominated, sure, and there is that thing, but there's nothing in this that that makes gives us that sense that this is the type of relationship they have uh he seems like a schlub it's this is almost like an old episode of the honeymooners where you don't understand why alice is with him you're like uh, why <laughs> you know this guy's a this guy's a pain in the ass he's a schlub he doesn't care about himself he can't get his shit together he can't get his act together well but and... he won he won a budapest hairdressing competition travis <laughs> i mean that is and all she was was a hair model. That's what yeah. her job was, was to get her hair cut. And they fell in love across the table from each other. I mean, he was he was also the lead singer in City Death when he was younger. Well, now, so. see, now, that, now that's a whole different guy. <laughs> you know, the City Death singer, that's someone you could fall in love that with. That is a catch, yeah, for sure. I mean, sure. his stamp collection alone. It was weird seeing him in these two roles because, I mean, they're so different. And it, it, it seemed like, I mean... Didn't it seem like he'd aged like fifteen years from that from that role? They it'd both only did. Been like six. Yerzy Stir as well. He also seemed yeah. like like there was a lot, much larger time period between the two. I think maybe the difference between twenties and thirties. I guess it's that that yeah. is kind of a big leap. You do change a lot. Yeah. Not me, Erica. I still, I've still got oh. it, Erica. <laughs> Okay. Don't listen to America. I'm well <laughs> past all of that, so it's all gone for me. Um, no. Well, I, speaking I mean... of prison, um, yeah, he <laughs> he doesn't realize that he that they were equal all along. That all of us are. My God, that he just is such an idiot that he can't see that, and now he's created prisons for both of them, and their equality is terrible. Well, I mean, in a way, that's like the best way of looking at this movie is that, you know, this guy was so clue beyond clueless the entire time. Um, I mean, maybe I mean, there is, I guess, if you wanted to provide generosity for um, the Dominique character as she's written, um, she she could be making the excuse that uh, this is the reason why they're getting divorced. But it's really the fact that this guy is just like a complete wreck and, uh, you know, obsessed with the fact that he can't uh, please his wife. And, you know, if, she, if he would just actually pay attention to what she has to say and maybe get a better attitude, <laughs> we wouldn't have had to go through this uh, this process of moving back to Poland. And uh... Because the worst thing that she's done to him is divorce him for cause. And then everything after that is of his own again instigation well does he does he cut her off from the money does she cut him off from the money is that what happened why does he lose she 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 just like leaves him oh like what what's the deal with the passport why doesn't he have his passport did i miss something no they never they didn't really explain it ever we the only reason it was explained to me is that tony rain said something in his little piece on white about the original script and her kind of like uh, winning the winning the salon, winning his uh, getting his bank account, and then she uh, somehow he destroyed uh, to keep him there for court. 
he had to he had to submit his passport or something like that. I don't know. Oh, okay. Like because he still had more litigation to go through that they haven't finished yet. Like she I says, see. she says in the salon, "I'm gonna win everything. I'm gonna win our right. court case. I'm gonna win the other court case." And so, um, I got a feeling he had to submit his passport so he wouldn't flee the country, and then he flees the country. I mean, she's uh, not she's not like a totally she does set her own salon on fire uh to try to frame him so i mean she maybe she's just mad in that moment but she's definitely got a little bit of crazy in her at least um to go with his crazy (laughs) (laughs) well it's like this is like a light-hearted version of decalogue nine like it's the same it's the same concept except that one is like deadly serious and the dude is like suicidally depressed about his inability to perform sexually versus this guy who's just, you know, basically his erection is tied to Poland. Like he can't get it up yeah. unless he's back in his home country, which is kind of a, you know, is funny. And it's in, in some sense if it was played for some sort of humor, but it's just kind of like a fact of things. Like he can't do, he can't perform until he's back home. It seems, it feels like. But the, the difference there, though, is that um, in, in Decalogue 9, we get uh, the wife's perspective. And we get mm-hmm. to see her with her lover. We get to see kind of a little bit more of her interior world, how she's feeling about this situation. And and we also get moments between the two of them that I think are, you know, honest and um, go into depth on their emotional states. Um and kind of how they feel about this situation, even if they aren't necessarily telling the truth all the time in those instances. I think there is truth in those conversations that they're having, and here we don't get yeah. to experience any of that because no, they're nine, always playing nine, games with each yeah. other. Nine is successful in what it's what it's attempting to do, and this is not yeah. because it's so one-sided, which makes me wonder, you know, after reading a few pieces about it and stuff, you know, 13 cuts of this film, lots of footage again, shot but not shown, you know, was there more to the story? And then he just started cutting stuff out for, you know, time and pacing and, you know, changing the story to kind of streamline it. I think Tony Raines describes this movie as a bullet, like just straight into the point. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, such a, it's such a weird thing to come off of, two films that are so strongly feminine and in terms of exploring those characters uh, and the strong emotional sense, it almost makes me wonder if like in uh, Decalogue 7, 8, Decalogue 8, the one with the two women who reconnect. Uh, yeah, eight. yeah, Decalogue 8. I wonder if it's, it's similar to that where we have these stories about women who through their conversations and their dialogue and their exploration of their emotions, uh, they're able to heal, change, and move on, where the male character in that is refuses to face these things, refuses to be emotional and talk about these things so he can't move on. I'm wondering if this is the same sort of kind of masculine perspective that he is taking, which is, you know, there is no detailing of emotion it's it's plot it's logic it's i have to get the most amount of money so i can enact my revenge and Mm -hmm. get her back and then get back at her and then flee the country and then she can rot in jail and i can go on with my life but 
what life is there? There is no life because he doesn't have anything anyway. All he has is this revenge, and it's not done in seriousness. This isn't a noir. There's no darkness to what his plot and plan is. It It's so light and kind of iffy that it, it doesn't it doesn't work in terms of that either so we're left with a lot of you know lopsidedness in the film so it is it does get kind of hard to justify I can see why there's so much ire against this film after coming off of those uh, one two punches through one one two three punches of Decalogue uh, double life and blue um, well that that is an interesting thing that you uh, bring up that I kind of want I'm kind of curious about that. Do you guys feel like it's sort of the, in, in terms of, I guess, maybe just the stereotypical representation of uh, the way that um, movies are structured is, is, is our plot heavy films more masculine and, and uh, kind of more uh, films like blue or, or uh, double life of Veronique. I hesitate to, to describe them as one particular thing to sway your opinion in any direction, but uh, less plot focused and therefore more feminine in their approach to the story. I mean, if you think about historically, hasn't that always been one of those things where, uh, you know, male movies are plot heavy movies while, uh, women's pictures have always been about emotions as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, succeeding in some sort of goal, which is basically a plot. I don't know. That's a, I haven't, I mean, I've thought about it, but I haven't really thought about it in terms of that, like masculine feminine. I guess I wonder like, is blue, um, inherently less plot focused because it's focused on a a, because it's focused on a, a female character in sort of the more general sense, but B, and I think maybe more interestingly for our conversation, because of the specific topic that it's about, could you reverse these two movies um, and have Blue be much more heavily plot focused and have it be as successful um, and sort of as harmonious with its uh, subject matter um, and have white be um, folk, you know, less plot focused and, and similarly uh, successful or, or more successful uh, in, in if, if we feel like it's, um, it's too plot heavy at this point. I don't know. It's, it starts to feel a little unwieldy the more I think about it, because if we go back to blue and Julie, the criticism leveled against her or people saying I don't get it is that basically I don't get why a woman would act like that shouldn't a woman be so much more focused on her emotions mm. and exploring this and show grief That's and true. on and on and on yeah. so uh, it's I don't know that it fits the same way with those gender constructs uh, I don't know I'd have to probably write an essay about this and get back to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think if we if we remove the feminine masculine terms, I think I think we could tell the story of white in a more lyrical way and less um, structured because you have those moments of like uh, those Kishlowski type moments of like 
the suitcase being on the baggage on the baggage trolley that we don't understand until later we've kind of pieced that together and the flashes forward which the well the flashbacks to the wedding uh and then the flash what appears to be flash forwards but to me uh felt more like uh him working through how uh, playing through how the scenario is going to go in his head before it happens so those moments where he's he's having his quiet contemplation he's playing with that uh that two franc coin and he thinks about you know uh dominique entering the room uh distraught and you know taking off her jacket and then there's another moment of her getting over by the you know hanging the jacket off the chair and kind of like rubbing her temples and kind of like being visibly upset he has those moments of flashing forward to that idea and there are moments like that in this movie but they're they, they stick out like a sore thumb because they're not as woven into the story like where we had blue where we had those moments of of blacking out and the music swelling and you had these the small details of things there's very little detail in this movie it's all it's always with it's always about um uh carol like it's it's there's never a moment like very rarely are we without him and when we are without him uh it's with dominique and we never spend enough time with dominique to make it emotionally connecting to her so it's 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 odd. I think I think you could make this movie more lyrical and give him more of a sense of kind of uh, an emotional core that we could connect with more. I think that's the thing. Like with Julian Blue, like even though she's not performing in the way that uh, society would state that she should perform in moments of grief. We as audience members, I think, connect emotionally a lot quicker to her because of the situation she's in and the way she's reacting to it versus Carol, who I'm always feeling we're left at an arm's length from and we don't always know what his motivations are or why. Whereas in Blue, we don't know what her motivations are or we don't know what her reactions are because we can't understand right away why she isn't reacting this way whereas this one like his motivations are we're like what he just wants to win her back that's the that's the whole plot of this movie like it's so simple and the things he does is so a to b to c to d that it really doesn't uh it really doesn't lend itself to some sort of connection from my perspective to to his character i don't I don't feel connected at all to him. I always feel like I'm, um, you know, I'm held away. And it's so odd because if you think about that in the context of Blue, everything that's happening is on a world stage for some of these mm-hmm. events specifically. The symphony and uh, the loss of this huge character. And then, of course, her grief, the loss of her family is something so gigantic that we can't even most of us don't even want to contemplate that at all and yet white is supposed to be the everyday it's the thing that most of us probably can relate to more and yet we're not given the opportunity i mean he doesn't suddenly turn into cassavetes we're not constantly examining every single word and gesture that everyone makes and to each other and out loud and to ourselves yeah it's uh it's 
it it's yeah it's we don't get into the nitty gritty of the daily life the the we like I don't feel I don't feel thrust into Polish life like I have in the past with his movies if because of it's it's such an odd place uh it's unfamiliar to us because it's the new Poland that we're you know if we've been watching his movies all along this new Poland seems so alien it doesn't even feel that way to me as an audience member it's it feels so normal like it's just meh because you know the old Poland under communism there was a mystique and there was a, a comprehension of what the rules are of the society and how things are playing out and he's and he has worked really hard at kind of you know getting these rules and showing how complex things are and then we move into this new Poland and I'm sure there is more of an ease as things become easier to do but that ease is so easy that there's none of that I don't feel that there has been a change or there is a disruption to their world as much because it just you know he gets back home he works as a hairdresser he gets a job he buys some land he gets a business and then he gets his wife thrown in jail and then he feels bad about it and stays around and so it's kind of like what there's there's no there's no struggle yeah and there's no there's there's none of that kind of like those those weird detours that Mm. typically Kieślowski takes I mean the closest to to one of those here I mean there's the obvious um I guess it's an old man it could be an old woman um putting the bottle uh into the recycling bin which is um mm-hmm. oh, the, the old man yeah yeah that, yeah that we'll see again in red and that we saw in blue in veronique um but the 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 other detour is Mik- mikolai um who mm. is another one actually you mentioned uh you know i think you mentioned that uh Jerzy Stroh's character would be an interesting protagonist i think we all would agree that uh dominique building up dominique uh to a higher profile character in the film would make for an interesting protagonist um i want to see mikolai's movie i, I love yeah. this guy um it's he, fascinating yeah i mean he's a really interesting character um i love the guy uh who plays him um i forget his name uh it's um it's janusz janusz gaios um and he was actually the uh the dad in decalogue four um and he's he was the first kind of like Kurzmaki sign in this film for me. Like he just feels very, um, very much like a Kurzmaki character. He's got you know this yeah. kind of nihilistic coolness to him and the tooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. one odd tooth. <laughs> um, and yeah, and just like the, you know the way he's just flipping cards around, and um, and then the fact that you know he takes out a hit on himself is. Uh, is a, a really nice uh, kind of black comic touch uh, in the film. Uh, and, and that scene, I think, actually, um, the, the, that sequence in which um, Carol uh, pretends to shoot him and then they, uh, you know, kind of realize the love of life, the enjoyment of it, um, is, I think, the, the highlight of that stretch um, in between Dominique's mm. appearances. Um, and, yeah, I mean... I, I wish that there was more of that in the movie and less of the, you know, because to me, like, why not have Carol uh, hit it big as a hairdresser and start like a hairdresser chain? And that's how he makes all of his money. Like it would have taken five minutes 
he's obviously very good at his job, you know, like Yerzy Sturr says his, his clients don't want him anymore because Carol's back and they'd rather have him uh, do their hair. Like, it just seems like they, he goes so out of his way to, to, to overload us with plot um, that is unrelated to the story um, and that, that could have been better spent, el- time better spent elsewhere. I'm thinking again about the use of white, and it seems like when when Travis, you were referring to those those flash forwards or whatever it is that they are, that it's like he had nothing before and he ends with nothing, which is what white feels like. It's mm-hmm. just this mm. vast openness of of a zero. The 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 wedding flashbacks, which are you know as you mentioned, kind of the most memorable pieces of the film and uh in, especially in terms of presenting the color of white um feel like that to me as well they're just this kind of like almost blank generic memory of a wedding that you could insert into any movie like it kind of reminds me of the flashback in like an action parody to the time when the the like in in mcgruber when he's getting married and his wife gets shot um, by val kilmer like or blown up by val kilmer like it's you know it's like the the action hero's memory of his like happy wedding day with our like a john woo movie with pigeons replacing the doves it's like the uh, it's like the uh it's the it's the standard for all instagram wedding photos now is that flashback is you know that yeah hand reaching back and bride walking away kind of thing uh, or like yeah or like speaking of an upmarket brandy commercial like it's such, yeah. you know there is like a, a perfume vibe to it for sure yeah well it's 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 weird cuz this movie is white which i agree with erica saying like that idea that it's blank like i think uh Kishlowski talked about a couple times like what the you know what the fuck am yeah, i going to do with white you can't show like, white, white. Yeah. you can't show white white sucks it's no color but here i am stuck with this stupid thing i'm stuck with a quality in white so it's like he was it's yeah. like he's like in the worst 48 hour film festival like they you have white and a quality go go it's like oh come on this is what i'm stuck with okay fine but uh, I think more importantly, I think that there's another color that is much more pervasive in this film and much more important, and that's the color red, because mm-hmm. it's used a number of times, so many times, and it's always when there's a when there's opportunity or there's a, a change about to happen. So, you know, uh, she's wearing red in court. Mikolaj is wearing a red scarf when he gives him the suggestion of "Let's get out of here. Let's let me get you back to Poland." Uh, you know, the first time he's back in Poland, he's covered in red blood. His sign outside of his door is red. Uh, the car of the guy, the money changer, is red. So there's there's all these, like, signifiers as the movie goes on. They, they have sex on red sheets at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And even the wall in her cell, it has more of a reddish, orangish tint mm-hmm. than white. You know, it would make perfect sense that she would be in a white cell you know if you're going to go with the thematics of the of the of the piece but it, he wants to connect it back to that those sheets again that that connection that they had and it's it's almost like white is white is the 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 canvas in which he's able to put these pieces of color on to help us kind of see these connections uh the red of the christmas presents when he gives the mikulash that job opportunity of be my partner you gave me the money to start this company and then the red of the marker as he connects all the pieces of land he owns 
you know there's it's so much more like this is you know this is a more important color with white being this nothingness that he's stuck in which i i appreciate that concept eric of it just being like a zero it's nothing and he's stuck in this nothing place you know when he picks his head up after being thrown down the the hill and he sees just this giant trash heap and he just says ah i'm home <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> there's nothing more bleak and like horrible than that idea well i mean he can't be he can't be less uh impressive of a protagonist than he is in that opening sequence walking in just you know like we start on his feet and he's just sort of shuffling along i mean this is not this is not a power walk here and you come up and all of his clothes are mismatched there's a couple making out in the background you know as he's as he's walking by and then by incidentally the next couple that goes by one of them is wearing blue and one of them is wearing red Mm. um and then he he shows up uh, at this courthouse. He doesn't even. I mean, there's a giant building, uh, steps up to a giant building, and he asks the guy where where to go. And then you know, and then the next thing that happens to him is a pigeon craps on his shoulder. Um, so the there's he's definitely um, uh, an a, a a nothing a zero um, right from the beginning of the movie. And the only time you really get any emotion from him is at the end of the film and in the moment when he asks for his two franc piece back, um, you know, which is really just him being angry at the fact that he listened to his his wife have sex with somebody else. Um, so, I mean, he he's 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 definitely very hard to remember as a protagonist. Um, and it, it, it's it's not through any fault of Zamakovsky, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's a, a fairly decent performance. It's just that I don't necessarily think he was given that much to do. And his clothes are the muddiest, yeah. most indistinct. And then it, once he is getting wealthier, they get progressively grayer as the film goes on, too. And the shoulders get bigger. So mm-hmm. much shoulders, so much yep. shoulders. They're like swimming in those suits. I think, I think the scene, one of the scenes that I liked the most, um, was, and that kind of gives me like the more quirkiness of Kishlowski in dealing with his homeland, was the scene where uh, Carol is uh, trying to buy the land of the farmer, and the farmer yeah. doesn't want like he's like what am i going to do with this money buy a tv go you know you know get get yourself something nice he's like i could put it in a jar and bury it yeah it that would be a good idea so that much. idea I is like that. oh i got to stow it away and hide it like i'm an old school pullet like i have to i can't have this money it's too much i have to get yes. rid of it I but love it was that interesting scene. like to back to our conversation about um, the tv in blue like this is the first moment where I mean maybe this is the new Poland where TV there's nothing good on TV anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Because he says like, "Oh, you watch TV? I I don't. Wh- why would I need a TV? I don't. I don't watch that garbage." <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I I love. I <laughs> just just gonna bury the money. <laughs> He's so happy. Um, oh, it's great. And it's IKEA that's building the uh, the warehouses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing we we haven't mentioned here, be, uh, po- probably because it plays less of a um, prominent role than it does in uh, really 
any of the recent movies that we've covered is the music. Um, Preisner's score here incorporates a couple of different things, including the Polish song that um, that Carol is playing on his comb in the subway, uh, and and then it's got uh, definitely a tango uh, vibe to it. Um, what did you guys think of that aspect of the movie? Well, I think uh, I was. I think it was Tony Raines was saying. I guess that uh, the song he's playing on the comb was like a very popular love song, like a tragic love song kind of thing. Yeah. So he doesn't know if Preisner picked that as the song to play, or if that was Kishlowski who had that, you know, that desire to have that be the song. But I think, like everything else, the tango piece is as on the nose as everything else. A song about you know. A tango it takes two to tango it's a relation it's a dance relation between a, two partners and so by choosing that as kind of its as its central theme it's it's playing the same kind of concept i think that uh it was uh oh, it was uh isendorf who said something about like uh you know she she made it seem like uh you know he's leading her because of all of his machinations he's leading her through this dance you know even as he's in poland and she's in paris his hand is on her back moving her to a position he you know he wants her in which i think is giving him way too much credit um but like that concept of the song playing throughout uh being a dance of two people uh it makes sense for the the type of movie we're watching well i think it kind of comes across as like a jaunty comedic tone more than necessarily like a tango i mean there's so little sexuality in the film despite it being kind of about his uh sexual impotence that it it kind of you you forget the the tango component could be even incorporated into something like this and that he's essentially dancing with himself most of the time, that she's yeah. just not present and he's the one who is looking in his own mirror and remaking himself into the second Carol and mm-hmm. on and on. And that and like and unfortunately you associate Eastern European movies with the accordion. <laughs> like when you think of like Serbian films and uh, films from uh Czechoslovakia and there there's a strong accordion culture into that music so having that playing it just kind of blended in because as a I understand where what part of the world I'm in for this some this movie which is the first time because most of Preisner's scores stand out because they're so unique and different and yeah and this one felt like it it was of of the play of the correct time and place so it didn't it didn't kind of like it Mm-hmm. I didn't register it until like the second or third viewing uh, of that type of music. It's another component that makes this feel so different from uh, the Kishlovsky work that surrounds it. It just feels um, much, much closer to his earlier work where there's hardly any uh, non-diegetic music. And uh, again, uh, the, there's a lot of these kind of like blank slate male protagonists you know um the protagonist of personnel or um camera buff uh, not camera buff um the calm uh the carol 
feels in line with those and so so does the music here to a large degree um it does make you wonder uh what you said erica about him dancing with himself like it does make you wonder again like were there what did dominique's character have a larger role in the script initially and it's hard for me to understand that like Julie Delpy would read this script as it's appears mm. on the screen and respond to it as strongly as she did. I think about that idea of that. I'm looking as an older person now and wanting to shake her that she was so young at the time yeah. and it just plays to us differently as young people. Yeah. Like I can see her looking at kind of like the, the world experience that you would need to be in blue and have that kind of wherewithal versus this movie in which she can understand being like someone who's playing with someone's emotions, which is, you know, part of that maturation in uh, relationships when you're young. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, one of the only, one of the, one of the scenes that's, that stands out as the only one that I feel like there's some emotional contact. And I think Matt, you brought this up earlier, maybe it was uh, Erica, but it's when they're in this salon and he's woken up and he plays that little game of pretending to swallow the keys and, you know, opens his mouth and, you know, you see her and then he reveals and you see her smile and they share a moment of kind of like what their relationship kind of was like, which was more playful and then you know it turns sour real quick when it's almost like she she becomes offended that he you know he cannot get it up for her and it's a shame that i there had to have been i'd love to read the scripts i know they're out there somewhere but there had to have been more to her character than than what was there because you know with 13 edits of the film and different there's whole side plots and and side stories that they excise completely there's supposed to be a whole story with the tall imposing man that uh wants to rough up the uh, money changer that they cut completely out of the movie um i'm sure there's other things because i know there is a whole there was a scene they shot of uh the two of them meeting at that uh at the uh, beauty contest where he's cutting hair and he won the award. There was a scene they shot of that because it's, uh, it's played in one of the making of docs on, uh, on white. Uh, he's they're They're showing him filming. Like it's one of those on location, watching him film. And one of the scenes they're shooting is all these makeup and hairdressing tables lined up in this hall. And she's sitting there and there's all these other women getting their hair done. And I was like, Oh, that wasn't in the film, so I was kind of paying attention there, and then I was listening. I think Annette Isendorf uh, wrote about that being one of the scenes that was excised was uh, them meeting, which I think would have been good because for us as the audience, we want to see why they're in love and why this relationship should work at the end or why it, it matters, and not having that connection of the two of them like falling in love or being in love. It does, you know, because the, the image of them the marriage the you know is so saccharine that it's easy to be like whatever that's you know in the moment you're married of course everything seems wonderful you're getting married um but you know to see them actually have a relationship and what it's like before is something i think this movie desperately needs i wonder 
what else was left because if I understand how she described it correctly, Julie Delpy was saying that the ending was added much, much, much later to give her a chance to actually say something because he had felt, I guess, during maybe when he had gotten to editing that she was coming off like a monster, essentially, or really a, a nothing, a shell. And so if that wasn't originally included, I can't, it's hard for me to think what mm. else was set yeah. up that was included. Or, I mean, you know, it's hard, it's it hard is, to say. It is interesting, too, looking at her career. I mean, this was right in the the heart of when she kind of rose to stardom. Um, the movie she made before this was Killing Zoe which I haven't seen since it was released, but was a pretty big movie at the time. Um, I saw it then too, and I did not like yeah, it. I didn't like it either. Uh, and I, I don't feel like it's, it's reputation has uh, even stayed the same, if, uh, let alone grow over time. Um, but the movie she made uh, after this was before sunrise. Um, and you know, that, that kind of launched her into more of a um, higher profile in the U S she had already worked with some pretty significant directors, uh, and in particular Polish directors yeah, um, at the time. She's yeah, she's in mm -hmm. Europa, Europa, um, and uh, it just it doesn't strike me as the role that I think people looking back on this trilogy think of it as, because mm -hmm. you know she's arguably the most famous of the three of these, uh, well, no, not, I mean, Julia Binoche is, the, Binoche is the most famous, but she's, she's up there. And, um, yet she, she really doesn't, um, register much, uh, in this film. And it's a shame because I think the movie would be stronger for it with a, with a stronger role for her and, and for more screen time to allow her to become more of a kind of fleshed out human being. Well, I think she's earned this great reputation that she has and that a lot of that is through her own writing and then yeah. directing. And I know that he talked with her about this, but he doesn't seem like the person who would take on somebody with massive specific yeah. instincts or, or opinions about, no, I'm going to improvise here and here's what's going to happen. And I'm going to try a different way this time. It doesn't seem like that's what he was going for. So she, yeah, she like actually 24 year old it, right? version in, yeah. the, in the interview that she says, you know, it was freeing for her in a way because he told her exactly what to do all the time, basically. And she just had to execute it. When I think we talked about how uh, a couple of the moments that really resonated with us the most in blue were moments that we realized afterwards that uh, Julia Binoche fought to to have her right. character come out more. Mm -hmm. So yeah. maybe maybe that is something that you know, as a young as a young actress uh, as a young actor, it could have been something that you know Julie Delphi was not. Uh, not prepared or willing to push yet and uh so because of that uh you know we didn't get a full character from her i don't know it's hard and and zamachowski i felt like also said or zamachowski sorry that he only got the script or they only talked about it once or twice yeah. before they started and that he was pretty clear there's no improvising so i i 
it doesn't seem like he was searching for pointers on the script. No. <laughs> all in all. It sounded like if they had to describe Kieślowski in one word, uh, the two of them, it would have been busy. <laughs> like, like it, I felt like they, it, they, were, they were talking about him like a person that they couldn't get on the phone. <laughs> like yeah. They, kept, yeah. they kept leaving messages for. And yeah, I mean, Delpy, like I definitely think of the before trilogy as a collaboration work of the two actors and Linklater together. Um, and those movies would be nothing without Delpy's contributions to that character. And yeah, that this movie definitely could have used a little bit of that. Not to say, you know, that style, um, but definitely um, a little bit more of, of her perspective and, um, and giving this character more of a, uh, of equal footing, you know, to bring it back to the, uh, to the equal, e- e- the, the moral equality. And it does seem like her, I mean, she is extremely white in this movie and it does seem like they're really going for that as being her defining characteristic is that her skin is super pale. Well, it's, it's super funny because we talked about her being the image of this movie. Uh, you know, the original poster she's behind, but in the American, you know, in a lot of the images for this movie, she's the image that comes up. And, you know, we talked about the cover of blue from the criterion collection being an image, uh, you know, a image from taken from a TV, a screenshot from the TV of a bungee jumper, but the white, the white it's, it's her, it's still her. Like yeah. it's, she's just as, she's just as much a, a, an emblem of something to kind of behold as this image of a bungee jumper on tv like it's it's almost like he was trying to play with this idea of something that is unattainable and he confused uh unattainable with you know basically that white statue that he puts back together it's this thing of beauty to be admired from afar but really it's broken with nothing inside of it and she uh, she is that to the fullest in this movie because no one has taken the time in the story or in the uh, editing of this film to give her more than just this I'm pretty and I want to have sex. An object and a yeah. concept as opposed to a, a person. Exactly. Yeah. I still don't want to suggest that people skip this no. though. I don't I don't definitely suggest that at all. No, we're 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 no, go, I, we're going yeah, deep to true. really talk about the things yeah. that are not working, but in this film there is a lot of stuff that works it is still entertaining it is like their performances from uh some of the characters are fun to watch and there are some some oddball things that are uh, really really entertaining and it is you know a bad kishlowski movie like we've said before it's still pretty a, a pretty good movie yeah yeah i mean it, it's a it's a very easy watch uh for sure um and yeah, I mean, I think we're picking it apart a lot, but there there is a lot to like. Um, yeah, I mean, I wonder if a lot of that is kind of expect there's there is a certain expectation, and and those things to work two ways. I think you know the they're coming from blue, um, and then even after you've seen this and watching red, um, there is this feeling that it's just so different from those things, and then therefore is is. Um, not as effective and I think that's probably not fair to it um, because it's trying to do something very different um, and then yeah there there was this like especially in the US campaign and again this was uh, a Miramax release so uh, you know you have to 
place the Weinstein factor into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's her in bed and skimpy clothing and, or, or with the sheet pulled up in front of her. Um, there was this like art house sex, uh, positioning of this movie which makes absolutely no sense um for for the film as it's um being presented i mean uh i even when i was looking at the art for this movie uh one of the uh, posters had a quote that was uh it's an intoxicating erotic treat (laughs) which i don't know like i wouldn't use any of those words like three words get thee to an analyst Um, were, to describe were there this were movie. there were there ellipses I mean, there... between each one of the words intoxicating <laughs> ellipses erotic ellipses treat <laughs> because i don't remember any aquarium sex beds yeah 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 they needed white. it needed more more aquarium sex beds i think every movie does, every movie does <laughs> yeah the sex aquarium um <laughs> Uh, there was there was i guess they oh yeah no no there was no uh, aquarium sex bed i thought i remembered one um no (laughs) i guess there's not i guess there you can't get everything in new poland can you yeah exactly um no i mean and the other thing like and we've mentioned all of these people throughout this conversation but the other thing i think that's really worthwhile about this movie are the kind of stock actors that Kieślowski has used throughout his previous films appearing here there's a there's so many of them and they're all really wonderful in their roles and I think you know even some someone like uh, Alexander Bardini who is the lawyer and just shows up for uh, I think two is he he I think he's in two scenes um, it's just like great to watch these people perform and uh, you know, I kind of wish that there was more of them um, in the movies, um, but it's uh, it's it's pleasurable if only for that reason, just to see these these people do uh, do what what they do best. Yeah, he's really pulled together like his uh, the talent that he's used in the past and uh, helped. Uh, you know, it's almost like when a, when a director has come back to. Uh, a theme or a uh, or kind of like a film concept and they bring back all the people from like their you know when you think about something like Scorsese and the Irishman which I haven't seen but he went and pulled back from the well all of his guys that he's used in those types of pictures you know having him come back and making a film in Poland because this one is you know 80% of this movie is in Poland uh, you know, he went back and got all of his favorite uh, actors to kind of play all those little side roles and small bit roles and parts. And uh, it is uh, it is enjoyable, um, I will say. And uh, I think uh, the character of uh, we touched on him briefly, Mikolaj, you know, Matt, when you're saying you wanted his story, like the way he, he imbues his character with all this like just this mystery and dour mystery like he's just he's like a polish ricky jay he's just kind of like doing these magic card tricks that's a good comparison he's like doing magic card tricks in the back he's wry he has the right line every time and then he has that moment of pure joy at the end you know when he's uh running on the ice and then unfortunately after that his kind of he's only there for a foil at the end to kind of be the one who uh sells the trick uh further down the road to you know but it is good when he is on. It's uh, it's fun to watch, especially when he's getting his hair cut. I that 
that scene yeah. was just it was lovely watching him uh watching him just sit there and get a haircut in the train station the one other thing i wanted to mention that was really uh interesting that i hadn't really thought about was that final shot of julie delpy um behind bars and kind of how the camera moves in and the bars sort of disappear it was interesting to see on the extra that uh the the wall was that was in a studio and the wall was set on tracks and they Mm. had they were moving the wall and the camera was sort of zooming in as the wall was moving towards the camera yes. and she was just standing oh, still yeah i just thought that was like a nice little that's a trick fun that that's a did. fun trick yeah so the uh the field of view would get so uh, close to the camera that the bars would disappear and and yeah. then having that kind of be reflected into the symbol of him like looking through the bars of his uh, comb and he's holding it so close that they and moving it so fast mm. that they also kind of disappear for a bit and that all of our films so far have ended in tears yes the the our yeah. actor crying at the camera yeah and i actually uh now that you mentioned that the the um the scripts of all three movies um but this movie uh they cut out the the opening because kishlovsky wasn't happy with the footage that they shot but they all open in hell uh they he literally oh. describes it as hell in the screenplay um and uh he kind of ha- uh tweaked that in the actual execution of the films um the the original opening of blue was going to be a more sort of discordant cacophony of uh cars in this industrial tunnel uh and then you know and he he ended up opening with just the the shot of the um of the tires sort of in the tunnel um and then here it was going to be this like market scene where it was just like people pushing their way uh around carol um and you know he ended up uh starting with the flash forward of the luggage um you know we'll get to red next time but essentially it's it's uh it's technology and things that sort of you know transfer and connect people to places and to other people um, which is obviously a pretty different um, concept than he initially kind of painted those pictures as. So it's interesting to see that kind of evolution. Um, and, you know, so we'll see where red begins and ends next time. Um, are there any other white points that you guys uh, want to make or any, any elements that we, you feel we didn't cover enough? I'm, I think I think we've we've done this movie as much justice as we can, um, but I think uh, yeah, like like uh, like to echo what Erica said. Like we might have been critical on this film in terms of uh, just uh, you know artistic artistic and uh, character development that we felt it was missing. But in no way is this something that should just be uh pushed to the side and not watched i think it's i think it's a uh, important uh just like how a lot of people hated uh episode 10 of the decalogue because it wasn't as dark and deep as everything else had been i think it's important to have these moments to be able to breathe and this this episode feels just like a 
a comfortable breadth of something that we're familiar with and we don't have to work too hard at so we can go into whatever yeah. he has in store next. So I uh, definitely don't miss it for sure. Yeah, I think that's a very fair comparison. Um, and, I, and, and I think we should add to there are champions of this movie out there. Um, I've, I've definitely yeah for heard. some people it's their favorite yes mm-hmm. yes yeah so so that that is uh you know please uh let us know we're wrong on twitter and we'll um we'll retweet you with with something nasty about your avatar or something i don't know isn't that what people do on twitter <laughs> i guess we'll have a productive conversation <laughs> is what we will have um travis what do you think about white um in the context of Kieślowski's work, where would you put slot this one? Technically, it's it's a very sim- simple movie. It's not like he's breaking new ground. Like the 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 lyrical story structure of of Blue and the way he's uh, telling that story is so unique to me that it kind of stands out. Uh, this ends up somewhere down below uh, Camera Buff for me, like. Uh, if we were to do our ranking thing, uh, blue is still number my number one. There's just the emotional resonance of that movie. I can't shake it. Decalogue, double life, short film about killing camera buff. And then I place white above no end and blind chance. Cause, uh, in terms of the story, it's a, it's more of an appealing kind of just narrative, uh, simple story that, no end is so complicated and so dark. It, parts of it didn't work. Uh, I think we talked about that in the episode. And Blind Chance, because it is so structured in the concept of a lot of the politics of the time, I, I tend to be turned off by that in Kieślowski's films. So I put it above those two for now. Um, we'll see as as time goes. I still haven't given, uh, you know, now that I've moved forward in his career, I would like to go back and watch his earlier films as well because watching them in order, I see his growth. But now I'd like to go back and, uh, you know, see these in context of his future as well, which might uh, shed some new light on my thoughts and opinions on these things. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I'm pretty close to you. Um, I think I'd probably slot this um, just below Blind Chance. So I would go Decalogue, Blue short film about killing Veronique blind chance and white. I think Veronique may have moved up above blind chance. I forget what my old ranking was, but obviously not important. Um, I, I think that this is a, uh, actually a, a very enjoyable watch and there are some interesting components to it. I do think it's much more blunt than any of Kieślowski's work um since no end and so for that reason i'm less drawn to it i I think that the concept of blind chance blind chance is certainly just as blunt and you know i have my reservations about that film but the concept is much more appealing to me and i think there's a lot more kind of philosophically to play with Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily know how much staying power white has from kind of like a psychological perspective i think that there's interesting technical components of it but and it's a and it's an enjoyable watch but i don't think it has the same kind of uh depth and uh an appealing kind of interactivity as his best work 
and so for that reason i would i would slot it there um but yeah again i i, I agree with both of you in in terms of really not dismissing this movie um just because it's surrounded by two films that often get talked about as as you know the great works of cinema in the 1990s and all that kind of fun stuff it that doesn't necessarily um make this uh, a movie to jump over in in any uh viewing queue so that's uh that's where we are and uh that's this is where we've come to this is uh his last film that we're going to be talking about next time which is three colors red uh erica um thank you so much for joining us uh, for this second episode and we can't wait to talk um three colors red with you no thank you guys i'm so delighted to be on this ride and i can't wait to come back have you uh is is red another one that you will be visiting for the first time in in uh, a decade plus yes and i've been waiting and watching them in order and just for this i didn't want to watch all three and then have so many of those thoughts bouncing around in my head so i'm waiting thank you very much we are too yes we're waiting as well i'm looking forward to talking about uh this with both of you next time we meet and with that we're complete for another week 